Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you a story. Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. It is Saturday. It's getting towards Saturday evening now. A little, little later than I like to do it, but it is Story Saturday. And it's the first Story Saturday of the new year, and we're kicking things off well here. We uh, took a couple breaks off, took a couple breaks, took a couple weeks off at over the holidays, the end of the year, because of the holidays. At first I figured I'd, oh, I'd push through and do a bunch of podcast stuff but then i was like you know what i'm gonna just you know do holidays with family and stuff so i did that i also closed out my writing goal for the uh 2023 and crushed it and we'll talk about that a little more on the other side of the story for the week but since it is saturday we're gonna get to it and this week and going through this year I'm not sure if you can hear that. My dog's down there. She's chewing on the bone, having fun. Anyway, <clears throat> we are going to go uh, this year through the stories that I wrote last year. This is the first volume that I put out in my Kickstarter campaigns. I did four of them last year. In fact, the fifth one is going on right now, which I will give you more details on the backside. But anyway, uh, a whole bunch of stories written last year. This year, we're going to read them. That's so I can turn it into audiobooks too, right? Um for your pleasure and this is the first one that we did last year it is a science fiction story military sci-fi set in my world of the Icarin confederation navy it is called midwatch asylum let's get to it sit back and enjoy when you look out into the depths of the endless night of space it's easy to lose yourself the soul-imperiling emptiness, stretching for inconceivable distances in all directions, the stark beauty of the multitudinous, yet also somehow seemingly rare by volume, stars everywhere. Every time Lieutenant Jason Henson, Icarin Confederation Navy, looked out there, he had to force himself to not wander into an odd stupor, just gazing into nothing and everything and leaving the world behind in rapturous contemplation of the stupefying immensity of it all and his minuscule to the point of meaningless position within it. Fortunately, the piloting bubble of the surveillance and reconnaissance skiff he flew had a heads-up display built into the plasteel hemisphere surrounding his pilot station. The skiff's course vector ran ahead, a deep blue line with pips denoting her current velocity, and a smaller red or green line showing the current acceleration he had applied. The icons showing the locations of nearby vessels, blue circles for Navy, green squares for civilian, yellow squares for unknown, were also projected in locations on the bubble, corresponding to their current position, smaller numerical values depicting whether those locations were from the skiff's sensors, the system's common operating picture, or from the vessel's transponders. The star system's ecliptic was a white line drawn across the hole, with planets and other large objects shown as solid white circles more than enough to keep him from zoning out too badly, most of the time. But when he had the midwatch patrol, even that wasn't always enough. Not much ever happened on the midwatch, most of the time. Then this night wasn't shaping up to be much different, except the slightly bitter scent on the air from the atmosphere processing gear back aft seemed more sharp than normal just then, 
and Jason's malaise eased as he perked up in his seat, the olive-green flight suit he wore rustling softly from his sudden movement. His eyes flicked up and to the right, to where his ship's status display was projected onto the piloted bubble. Internal pressure and temperature always just a tiny bit on the chilly side for his taste, both read normal. Fuel status was as expected for this long into the patrol. Reactor output was also to be expected from his throttle setting. Boxer, are you seeing anything abnormal in ship's systems, he asked. He didn't wear a headset. His implants detected the speech automatically and transmitted it through the skiff's internal communication system to his sensor and auxiliary systems operator in the body of the skiff astern of him. In the older models that Jason had initially trained on before hitting the fleet replacement squadron and then SSR-25, the Timberwolves, the Sasso would have sat directly to his right, making comms much easier. But they lacked the all-around piloting bubble, instead being configured more like the cockpit of an atmospheric transport. Jason preferred it this way, and anyway, Boxer was close enough that they could hear each other just fine, unless they had the hatch from the hull to the piloting bubble shut. And they only did that during combat operations. The implants were just backups, most of the time. Negative joyride, everything's in the green. Why? No matter how many times he heard it, Jason's call sign made him chuckle ruefully and shake his head. He should never have told the guys about that incident. Now well. He rolled his shoulders and blew out a breath to clear the imagined cobwebs and refocus himself. Nothing, I guess, just imagining things. Yeah, well, it's the midwatch. Want some tunes? Jason glanced to the left and up to his navigation overlay box. He had set the home waypoint to ICS Hatherley, the ship he and his flight detachment were based aboard, and they were currently 80,000 clicks away and getting farther by the moment. Playing music over the internal comm system was contrary to regulations, eh, but what the hell, there was a midwatch and Hatherley was far enough away that who would know? A little metal never hurts. Boxer groaned slightly. He was more into operatic and classical music. But Jason was the spacecraft commander, and anyway, Boxer had picked the tunes last time. So a moment later, a pounding bass line accompanied by hard drums and a hard, syncopated guitar riff began piping through his implants. Softly, so as to not drown out official comms, but it made all the difference. The Knight's mission profile was a standard four-sector scouting pattern. Go out 300 clicks ahead of the Hatherley's planned track on passive sensors, then reposition to four points, 100k to port and starboard above and below the track, and initiate active scans at each point. Passive gravitic sensors combined with inputs from the COP and the transponder feeds from civilian vessels should provide a clear picture of activity half a million clicks or more ahead of Hatherley's track for the duration of the patrol, farther than Hatherley could see with her own onboard passive systems. The brief active scans would pick up anything the passive scans missed. The skiff would send updated track reports through her data link with the ship, and the tactical action officer there could better decide how to go about the night's mission. Heatherly could, of course, run active scans of her own, but that had the potential of giving her position away, and their tasking was to remain undetected as far as feasible while maintaining safety of ship. So she was running with her transponder in receive-only mode, and using the skiffs from the flight detachment as her eyes and ears. That meant some risk to Jason and Boxer, because when they did their scans, their emissions would be detectable to other vessels. But the skiff's active array was tuned to frequencies used by commonly carried civilian sensors, so that risk was minimal. Or so the geeks who designed them said. But they weren't out here on the edge of the Sago Dominance's space, with their butts on the line. Not that there was a shooting war at the moment, or indication that there might be, but relations between the Dominance had never been good, 
after the disastrous first encounter between their ships and those of the Icarian Confederation. In the two decades since then, there had been a number of small border skirmishes that only heavy lifting from the diplomatic corps had stopped from turning into something more, and the dominance had swallowed up two independent systems that the government on Icarus knew of during that time period. So there was always that possibility in the back of everyone's mind. But it was the Midwatch. And dominance personnel were human too. They had to sleep like everybody else. Didn't mean they had to keep their ship's clocks set to the system's local standard, though. Their Midwatch might be Hatherley's noon. Comforting thought. Ahead into port, 20 degrees depressed from the skiff's course vector and 450,000 clicks distant, was the jump point into dominant space. Tonight's patrol would bring Jason and Boxer within weapons range of any vessel that might be lurking nearby there, or that jumped into the system. Long weapons range and evasion wouldn't be all that difficult from such a long shot, but the danger was not zero. So it was with some trepidation that he watched the range taker to their first patrol waypoint tick down towards zero over the next half hour. He throttled back, lowering the skiff's speed to match Hatherley's as they arrived, and then did a quick scan of the contact icons in his piloting bubble. All green, no yellow, and no red. We've reached point one, he said. Anything? Boxer replied quickly. Nope. Commencing active scan. Roger, Jason said, and felt himself tense up slightly. Of course, there was no reason to get nervous. No dominant ships were in the system or scheduled to come visit, or at least the diplomats didn't know of any that they had passed on to the Navy. Didn't mean there couldn't be a surprise waiting, though. But five minutes later, Boxer reported no new contacts, so Jason adjusted course for the second patrol waypoint. Then, after detecting nothing again at the second waypoint, Jason put those little bits of nervousness aside with a wry, silent self-scold. Of course nothing was going to happen. It was the mid-watch. And it was over halfway done. He glanced up at the chronometer, tucked away in his ship's status display box, and despite having gotten good crew rest before takeoff, he had to fight to suppress a yawn. 0332. Their relief would be launching in an hour and a half, and then they would head back to the barn a half hour later, once Jerky and Hobo got on station. It was going to be a long couple of hours, if a burst of light below and to the right drew Jason's eye. Adrenaline surged through him as he got a full look at it, a kaleidoscope of colors throughout the visible spectrum, wavering and turning in space for a couple seconds, and then just as quickly winking out as though it had never been. Gravitic sensors just pegged, Boxer reported, surprise plain in his voice. The jump point opened. Say again? Commence active scan. Joyride? Do it. A few seconds passed, then Boxer replied in the kind of clipped, professional tone that he only used when he was really feeling the stress. New contact, bearing 035 Mark 062, and a white block appeared on the piloting bubble right where the swath of light from the jump point opening had been. No transponder code. Course. Boxer paused. Course is erratic, fluctuating. Can you get a visual? Unless the craft, whatever it was, was significantly smaller than the skiff, there should be well within resolution range on one of the two optical telescopes on the skiff's dorsal and ventral surfaces. Wait one. In his mind's eye, Jason could see Boxer working the controls to bring the lower camera online and align it to the contact. Should be just a... Boxer let out a low whistle. Check it out. A data window popped up on the piloting bubble. Jason felt his eyebrows rising of their own accord and his jaw dropped open. What is that? Data on the Dominance's naval order of battle was far from complete, but he had learned the silhouettes of all their known craft. This didn't match any of them. 
It was tough to tell scale for certain, but Jason would bet the craft was not very much larger than his skiff. It was triangular, with what on atmospheric craft would be called a delta wing, and it had a vertical stabilizer as well. Maybe it was designed for both orbital and atmospheric flight? It was painted sky blue, except for on the leading surface of the delta wing, which were charcoal gray, and it had intricate design in red, green, and black on the side of its vertical stabilizer. Green and red running lights shone from the starboard and port wingtips, as per standard, and it had a red strobe atop the stabilizer and a pair of solid white lights on the dorsal section of its hull. And it was spinning, a slow counterclockwise yaw that made it almost resemble a misshapen top from this angle. And no wonder, a significant portion of the trailing edge of the port delta wing had been blown off, looked like. There were black scorch marks all over, anyway. A white mist trailed behind the craft as it spun, off-gassing of some sort. Dunno, but looks like he took a hit, Boxer said, echoing Jason's thoughts. Yeah. Did you pass the word to Hatherley? Affirm. They're setting condition two and adjusting course to intercept flank acceleration. Jerky and Hobo are up and starting launch preps. For all the good that would do, the flight detachment had been maintaining alert 60 per standard peacetime procedures, ready to launch in an hour from call-up. Jerky and Hobo might be able to go faster than that, since they would have already started their pre-flight preparations for their scheduled patrol, but probably not by too much. The closest other naval units were halfway around the system to spinward, and even though Hatherley was now burning toward them at 15 Gs, she wouldn't get there for longer than it would take Jerky and Hobo to launch. So Jason and Boxer were on their own for a while. Okay, I'm going to maneuver us closer. Try hailing it. It's moving away from the joint point pretty quickly. It must have burned like hell on the other side. But we won't just be within weapons range from the jump point when we reach it. We'll be almost at point-blank range. It's a vessel in distress. We can't just leave it. A short pause, then Jason could practically hear Boxer's nod, see his rueful grimace. Yeah, just saying. I know. Get the countermeasure system warmed up and tell Hatherley we're moving in. I turned it on as soon as the jump point opened. Jason smiled grimly at that. Then he adjusted the control yoke to point the skiff toward the tactical system's computed intercept point with the new contact, shown as a gray circle offset from the contact box by about 30 degrees, and increased the thrust from the skiff's gravitic engines. As he did so, Boxer sent out, Unknown craft exiting the Jinhua jump point. This is the Ikarin Confederation Navy skiff Lobo 607, approaching from forward starboard at 30 degrees elevation. You are directed to identify yourself, over, on the common hailing frequency. It was the standard frequency used in all Confederation systems, and in all the other nations the Confederation dealt with. Even the Dominants used it, though not in their home systems. So there was a decent chance the intruder could receive the transmission, or at least know to tune to that frequency. But then this wasn't a Dominant ship, so maybe not. And would they understand the language? The Dominants primarily used Mandarin, and a bit of Cantonese and Nihongo, but they could speak the common English that the Confederation and their neighbors used, and did when they interacted with the ICN. But who knew what this guy spoke? One thing at a time, Jason said to himself, earning himself a huh from Boxer in return. Nothing, he said. No response? Nope. I'm going to try some other frequencies. Roger, keep up the active scan. Focus it toward the jump point. I don't want to be surprised by someone else coming through. Never stopped. Good. And Jason had expected Boxer would do that. He'd been in the game just as long as Jason had, and he knew his stuff. Still, a little watch team backup never hurt anybody.
The skiff drew nearer to the intruder over the next several minutes without any response to Boxer's hails, and the image in the data window became more clear. Jason found he had to work to tear his eyes away from it to do his normal instrument scan and take care of his piloting duties. Not that it was particularly interesting to look at in and of itself. The design wasn't exactly novel, except for the wings, which were useless in the pure spaceship. But it was fascinating nevertheless. The mystery, yes, but also the possibilities. Was this a new dominant ship? Or someone else who had come through dominant space to the Confederation? That opened all manner of potentials that sent Jason into speculation for a long several minutes before he noticed... The wingtip running lights and the white dorsal lights on the intruder were flickering. Wait, no, not flickering, like the power was failing, blinking. Blinking rhythmically, almost intentionally. Jason blinked and focused in on the lights. The pattern was vaguely familiar, like something he'd seen once... He drew a quick breath. Boxer. The contact's lights. I think they're blinking in Morse code. What? A pause, then. Hey, you're right, I think. I don't remember my Morse very well, do you? Jason shook his head before he recalled Boxer couldn't see him. I remember SOS, and that's about it. Are you recording video or just stills? Both, then I'm way ahead of you. Sending the video feed to Hatherly now. They can have the comms text to code it. Outstanding. Jason glanced at the contact data on his piloting bubble again. Time to intercept had ticked down to less than 15 minutes. Hopefully Hatherly would be able to make something out of the intruder's message, if it actually was one, before then. Otherwise, things might get awkward. The timer was down to less than five minutes, and the vessel was visible to the naked eye through his piloting bubble when the call came. Lobo 607, this is Hatherly actual, over. Jason blinked, and he heard Boxer draw in a surprised breath. The CO himself was on the line? This was about to get heavy. He keyed his ship-to-ship comms control, which was set to Hatherly's frequency. Lobo, 607. 607, we decoded most of their message. They say they can receive, but their transmitter is damaged. They claim to be a transport of the Free Republic of Hazador Navy, and they have three members of their parliament aboard. They are fleeing dominance aggression and have requested asylum and protection, over. The Free what? Of what? Roger. Interrogative. Free Republic of Hazador? We don't know either, 607, but whoever they are, if the dominance is hostile to them, they are potential allies for us. I am granting them asylum pending official word back from Admiral Kennerly at System HQ. That will take at least two hours. In the meantime, we are preparing the VBSS team to rendezvous with the contact and extract its personnel. Your orders are to take up station between the contact and the jump point, monitor the situation, and if necessary, defend the contact against dominance attack if they should come through the jump point. Over. Defend them? With what? The skiff could be loaded out with a light anti-ship strike package, but Jason's wasn't. He had the surveillance and reconnaissance package. Both the skiffs, based on Heatherly, did. He had a light plasma cannon for self-defense, not good for much more than scaring a small civilian pleasure craft, and his countermeasure system, which hopefully could spoil incoming torpedoes or missiles aimed at his skiff. Maybe. And that was it. Roger. He couldn't keep the doubt out of his voice and suspected it transmitted through the comm circuit. A moment later, the CO's reply confirmed it. We are refitting 608 to a strike package. ETA for launch is 35 minutes. Hatherly will be in weapons range in one hour. Until then, you're it. Do your best, 607. Over. It took a moment for what the CO said to sink in. He knew their limitations, that they likely couldn't do much except soak up a missile or two, and that's what he expected them to do, if necessary.
Yeah, it got real heavy. Real heavy. Real fast. Roger. Good luck, gentlemen. Heavily out. Jason blew out a long, slow breath. Well, that sucks, Boxer said, and Jason's long exhale became a laugh that was part tension release, part resignation, and part legit humor of the deadpan way that Boxer said it. Yeah, it does. Mom told me to become a dentist. Guess I should have listened to her. Jason laughed again, 75% humor this time. Well, too late for that. We're here, so let's get it done. It only took a few minutes to get positioned as the CO ordered. Jason put the skiff about a kilometer away from the contact and rotated the skiff so the countermeasure systems, antennas, and decoy launchers were oriented directly toward the jump point. If they were going to do this, better give themselves the best possible chance. Then there wasn't much to do but sit back and wait, and take a better look at the contact. This close, Jason could tell his initial estimate of the vessel's size was wrong. It was about three times the size of the skiff, and he could see a number of small portholes running down the sides of the hull, windows for the important travelers to look out from their cabins, unless he missed his guess. He wondered what they were up to over there. Atherley had taken over comms with them, and told them their request for asylum was granted, and to expect the VBSS team's arrival within two hours. They probably had all sorts of great entertainment equipment on board to pass the time. He found himself envying that. Should have brought a deck of cards, Jason said, and Boxer laughed. I'm always down to take your money, the Sasso said, and Jason snorted. I was thinking go fish, not poker. Coward. Jason snorted again, then looked at his chronometer. From what the CO said, Jerky and Hobo should be launching in about another ten minutes, and Heatherly would be in weapons range in thirty-five. He wheeled the minutes to tick by more quickly, and it seemed to be working. Eight minutes now. Five. Maybe we'll get lucky. And they won't bother to continue that boxer caught off abruptly, then said, Ah, hell, Gravitic's just pegged again. The way the skiff was oriented, Jason couldn't see the jump gate's rainbow display this time. All the same, there was no doubt what had just happened, and his spirits, which had been rising by the minute, almost without his noticing it, dropped down into his boots. Crap, he said. New contact. Correction. Two new contacts. They are actively scanning. From their transmissions looks like a dominance frigate and corvette. Double crap. That's the truth, Boxer said. Then the tension in his voice ratcheted up to eleven. I'm reading fire control radars now, locking on us. Rig for combat, Jason said, and it was like the words flipped a switch in his mind. His thoughts crystallized, resolving down into the checklist of things to do, and he began doing them. Reactor to max power, engine limiters off, plasma cannon safety off, it might matter. He flipped a switch on the left side of his pilot's chair and heard the hatch between himself and Boxer slide shut. Then he reached up and pulled on the padded collar of his flight suit, the flexible plasteel hood that was contained within the padding released, and he pulled it up over his head. A practice run of his hands along the seam of the hood had activated the adhesive there, and he secured the rest of his flight suit. A hose connection for the skip's atmosphere system to a fitting in his suit, and he had airflow, and his flight suit was now space-ready. You set, Boxer? Affirm. Okay. Jason drew a deep breath and steeled himself. Commence jamming. Decoys ready? Jammers on. Decoys are good to go. The implants in Jason's right ear crackled. Then a new voice came over his comm circuit. Jason recognized Jerky immediately. Lobo 607, this is 608. We're off, doing max burn for you. ETA 10 minutes, weapons range in 5. Jason looked at the chronometer. They got out ahead of schedule. Awesome. Roger, we got it covered until then. 
We drifted far enough from the jump gate that they won't be able to split up and gain enough bearing separation to come at us from different axes for at least a few minutes, over. There was a noticeable hesitation before Dricky replied. Roger, we're to come on your starboard side. Hathalie is maneuvering to come in from below and to port. Good to know. Roger, out, he said, just as he heard in the left implant a deep voice speaking heavily accented but smooth English. This is the Sago Dominance Warship Yangtze to Ikarin Confederation Vessel. We are here to apprehend dominant subjects who are fugitives from justice. You are directed to cease your jamming immediately and stand aside. Failure to do so will be regarded as an act of aggression against the Sago Dominance, requiring an immediate and overwhelming response. Well, this was going downhill fast. Jason opened his mouth to reply and brought his thumb down over the transmit control button, then stopped as Hatherley beat him to it. This is the Ekerin Federation Navy cruiser Hatherley to Dominance Warships. Your presence here uninvited is a violation of Confederation territory. The Free Republic of Hazador Navy vessel is under our protection. You will cease pursuit and depart this system immediately. Failure to comply or any further aggressive action from you will be viewed as an act of war against the Ekerin Confederation. Silence over the comm circuits followed, punctuated by a loud thumping in Jason's ears. He wasn't sure whether it was the drum line from the music boxer still had playing over their internal comm circuit, or the pounding of his heart. Or both. They still locked on us, he said, and was amazed that his voice came out steady and strong. Fire control radar is still up, yes. Hopefully the jamming broke their lock. Yeah, hopefully. Finally, the dominant's voice came back on the circuit. This is an internal dominance matter, Hathalie. You have no right to interfere. You are in Confederation territory, Yangtze. Depart now, or we will consider your vessels hostile. And that had to give the dominance commander pause. He had two ships, yes, but a frigate and a corvette. Hathalie was a brand spanking new top-of-the-line battlecruiser, fresh from post-delivery overhaul and upgrades, with the latest and greatest in ICN technology and weaponry. She outgunned the two Dominus warships by at least four to one all by herself. They had to know that. But they also had to know she was still pretty far away. Did they have good intel on ICN weapons engagement ranges for that latest hardware? Jason said a quick prayer that if they did have any intel, it overstated those ranges. Because if they knew they still had 20 minutes until Hatherley could do anything to them, that was plenty of time to blow him up. Jerky and Hobo would return fire, naturally. And their strike package could certainly do some damage, especially to the Corvette, but that wouldn't help him and Boxer very much. So he sweated by the seconds that passed after Hathaly's response. Naturally, the band's male singer decided to engage in a particularly guttural and brutal chorus, accompanied by a guitar riff that sounded like it would kill a platoon at a hundred yards all by itself. All of a sudden, Jason really wished for some nice opera music instead. More seconds passed, but they seemed to stretch like years. Then the Dominance officer spoke again. This insult to the Dominance will not be forgotten, Hatherley, or forgiven. Yangtze out. Okay, what did that mean? From the way he had aligned the skiff, he couldn't see the Dominance warship's icons on his piloting bubble directly. They were just over his right shoulder, past the extent of the plasteel bubble. There was just a pair of red arrowheads pointing in that direction, telling him hostile contacts were in that direction. He got the strong urge to yaw the skiff around so he could see better, but that might bring the jammers and decoy launchers out of optimal alignment, and that would be bad. So he'd have to just suck up having an incomplete picture. 
Boxer, of course, would have a more clear view on his Sasso tactical display, and just then Jason envied him this position, even though he never got to fly. But only for a second. Then both the arrowheads winked out, and Boxer gave a little whoop. Jump point open again, they bugged out. Jason let out a breath he hadn't even realized he had been holding, and sagged back into his seat, relief flooding through him. He looked down at his hands and realized they were shaking. That had been close. Damn close. Jerky's voice came over the comm circuit. We're in range, 607. Jason barked out a quick laugh, just in the nick of time. But into the comm circuit, he said, Roger, break, Hatherley, this is Lobo 607. Dominus warships have departed the system, and 608 is on station. 607 is RTB. The CO's voice came over the circuit again. This is Hatherley Actual. Come on home. Well done, gentlemen. We'll take it from here. Roger, 607 out. Then over the internal comm circuit, he said, I don't know about you, but I need a beer. We're six, Boxer said. Think the CO will let us have an advance in a few days' rations? I doubt it. Yeah, you're probably right. Countermeasure system secured. De-rigging for combat. Let's go home. Jason nodded emphatic agreement, then spun the skiff around onto an intercept course for Hatherley. Then he advanced the throttle and they hurtled forward toward home base, the hangar, a beer, and his rack. As they passed the strange ship that had made the last couple hours so interesting, he hoped it would all end up being worth it. Then he shrugged. He'd probably never know. Okay, there it is. Nice little mid-watch fun and adventure for those two guys in their in their skiff piloting around. And uh hope you like it. I like that story. It was uh, kind of a fun tale. Harkening back to my Navy days, I wasn't a pilot, but I knew a bunch of pilots. And, you know, last few years in the Navy, I was helping out the carrier strike groups doing stuff and learned something about how those guys do business. And I was like, man, it's kind of neat. So ported it over there but um yeah so that was the first one we did in last year's challenge and we'll be doing the rest of the stories from last year's challenge going through the rest of this year <clears throat> but yeah we are not quite done with last year's challenge yet because i've got the four kickstarters that i ran last year done and out and delivered to everybody but that didn't cover all the stories. The fifth and final Kickstarter is going on right now as we speak. It started this week, and we've already crossed the initial funding goal and are <clears throat> pushing on towards some super fun stretch goals that we got. Uh, so you guys should definitely go check that out. It is 52 Stories in 2023, the full collection. The short link to get there is michaelkingswood.com slash 52n23v1 the letter v you'll see it down there on the bottom of the screen as we do this and you should go back the campaign now if you haven't already because well it's money for me but also <clears throat> it gets you some cool uh if we get the stretch goals done you'll get some cool bonus stories and fun stuff like that and you'll get the satisfaction of helping out the writer that who's like whose work you like the stories you enjoy and help keep them going on for the for the future and doing awesome things um if you think i'm producing value here go by all means back that thing up um that will be going on until i think it's going to close out on the 23rd of this month january and uh, then we'll get those books out to everybody who support it and we'll be pushing on i have lots more cool um projects planned for this year 
moving back from short fiction more into novels this year. Uh, so that'll be awesome and more to tell about that in the future. Uh, but for now, just accept that that is uh, something you should back at the time and come back for more of those things later. <clears throat> that said, other things that are going on. I am obviously writing, <laughs> getting started on this year's challenge, and it's off to a good start already so far. Um, other things, the... Well, I shouldn't really announce this yet. I got a couple of things going on that's going to level up my business side of writing this year. <laughs> they're not quite straight away yet, but I will uh, announce them when they're ready very shortly. Um, but yeah, well, let's keep this one brief because I have some things to do this evening. So we'll just say next week on Saturday, Story Saturday, we'll get to story number two, which is a fantasy crime slash heist story it's called spirit foreclosure and it will be read read here it's the second book from last year's second story from last year's challenge we'll read here next saturday uh the kickstarter as i told you is going on we're doing periodic streams do updates on that and as soon as i close this out i'm going to do a stream <laughs> live stream just to do an update because it's been a day or two since i did that um so tune in here on the channel for that otherwise just come back next saturday and we will, of course, do Story Saturday. If you haven't already subscribed to the, the channel, whether it's on YouTube or Rumble or my audio podcast, make sure you do that. If you haven't already gone, checked out the Kickstarter campaign, do that. And if you haven't bought my books, what are you waiting for? i got a bunch of books you can buy. Go to michaelkingswood.com store. Lots of great books, short fiction, long fiction, everything you can want. You can, of course, go to all the various retailers at michaelkingswood.com slash books to read the number two uh, anywhere you want to get them. It's better to come to my place because cut the middleman out, I get more money that way. And we get a direct relationship. You know, new releases come out later. You can get uh, immediate notifications through the accounts on the store or through the newsletter subscription mailing list thing that you can do and you should do. Um... That's preferable, obviously, any way you want to get the books. I'm not going to complain either way. Um, so that's what's going on. I'm going to close out. Got some stuff to do this evening. I hope you guys enjoyed the story. Hope you'll come back next week. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.